Today's episode of The Beat is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. another episode of the beat we've got an action-packed uh, little stretch here Brendan. i mean this has been uh interview interview well, everyone's sitting here. around the super bowl shit almost. all to do so suddenly everyone <laughs> a wide array of people are available for uh for interviews here so right yes we've got another great one another great guest today of course uh, if you want to introduce our uh latest guest Brendan, go ahead yeah the uh Wildly famous NBA shooter Duncan Robinson. <laughs> Duncan, he opened how are up you, his unbelievable. Up his, go ahead, go ahead. I'm uh, I'm doing well. I don't necessarily appreciate the facetious tone that you kind of brought me in. Well, um, no, I'm we're just gonna kidding. get into we're gonna get into that. You, you do just know that kidding. Duncan. Uh, I'm, I'm doing well, man. I'm doing awesome. It's good to see you, man. So, so Duncan no, on Zoom, he opens up his Zoom file and all we see is the Miami uh, skyline um, and like the beach and stuff and we're all like oh my god come on but you but it's probably worse for you because you can't go outside like you can't even go yeah um, I don't want to say it's worse because it's still eighty five and sunny literally every single day um, so I don't have too much grounds to to complain um, but I, I try to get outside at least you know once a day whether it's a walk or something like that or a run um, just to kind of stay active and get some fresh air. You guys locked down big time at this point. Yeah, it's it's funny. Um, you know, Miami. Well, it's not funny, but Miami kind of took. At least I felt like um, it was one of the the more delayed cities in terms of taking the necessary precautions right. to kind of shutting stuff down. I'm sure you guys may have seen like the viral videos of people basically going about spring break like nothing was happening. Um, so that was frustrating, just because it may have like kind of put us in a difficult situation moving forward. It kind of seems like we may start to become a little bit of a hotspot, but uh, now it's the message is starting to get across, which is important. Yeah. So are so, you by yourself in there? Are you, uh, you quarantining with somebody else? No, one of my, my uh, best friends I grew up with um, is down here right now. Um, he's a college basketball coach in Boston um, and his season got shut down. So uh, as soon as it did and he realized, you know, they shut down school and everything, he just flew down and um, it's been really nice having, uh, having somebody else here. That's for sure. Yeah, I feel like, you know, obviously all sports, all life in general has been just completely derailed by by this. Um, basketball is in such a fascinating spot, though. It's one of the, the few sports that were just literally right in the middle. Obviously, NBA right in the middle of the season, college basketball reaching the, the peak, the time that we all wait for, and it all just kind of came crashing to a halt. As You know, I'm, imagine you're texting and calling with all your guys just all day, every day. It's everyone just on the brink of losing their minds or just kind of how are you know how are you guys just handling and coping yeah it's a challenge i mean it's there's so much uncertainty um obviously you know this is unprecedented um so there's a lot of firsts and in, in how people are are choosing to handle it um you know first and foremost i i really feel for the the college guys um particularly the seniors who um you know there's a handful of them at, at michigan 
you know, they had a chance to go on a run in, in their senior season. And, and I look back on my senior season and how special that time of year was for me. Um, so that's obviously tough. You know, the NBA stuff is obviously unfortunate. Um, the good news is, is we have some flexibility with a timeline and, and we can still maybe try to um, find some solutions, uh, whether it be later on, uh, you know, in these next couple of, uh, of months. But, uh, you know, the Michigan, the Michigan guys, I definitely feel for those guys and just seniors across the country who, um, you know, don't get that chance to compete on the biggest stage. So, so when the tournament goes away, is that like, uh, even for you in the NBA, is that, uh, I mean, for us, it was, you know, brutal. I mean, for us to watch, you know, because we love it. We love the tournament. It's gone. So, I mean, what, you know, that's gone. Season stops. I mean, it's just a surreal, you know, beyond surreal for somebody who was playing one day and then all of a sudden the next day it's gone. I mean, that's got to be, I don't even know. I mean, it's surreal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy looking back how fast it all happened too, right? I mean, I think the first, one of the first ones was at the NCAA tournament said mm-hmm. that they weren't going to do fans. And that was like, everyone was kind of, wow, this is strange. This is weird. And then uh, we obviously, I think it was a Wednesday night, we had our incident um, where obviously, you know, it came out that Rudy Gobert um, mm-hmm. had been infected. And from there, we had kind of known, we had kind of discussed um, just from an organizational standpoint that if somebody had, it was known that somebody had the virus that they were going to have to shut it down or at least suspend it in some capacity. Um, so once that happened, we were all kind of like, whoa, this is really happening. And um, the dominoes fell from there. I mean, the Big Ten tournament was was done, obviously. The conference tournaments and then the NCAA tournament followed shortly after. So just crazy how it all happened. It felt like every hour something different was um, some big news was being broken. I have to say, the la- last time I heard your voice was listening to the J.J. Redick podcast where uh, you were talking to J.J. Redick, and now you're talking to our two dumbasses so this is obviously <laughs> as this goes longer your uh, options are the collective clearly shooting percentage just dipped yeah in this conversation <laughs> yeah that was a great that was a great episode though man that was really fun if anyone out there has not listened to it highly recommend uh, that was a great chat i could listen to you two talk about just shooting for hours i appreciate that yeah that was a that was a cool moment for me for sure um you know i'm, I'm a big podcast fan I've, I've listened to all sorts of stuff i listen to you guys um but I uh, always listen to JJ. I mean, I've been a huge fan of his, obviously, um, you know, just the way that he plays the game and what he's been able to do in his NBA career. So to have the opportunity to sit down and, you know, for me, it was, it was really me picking his brain um, on a lot of stuff. And we also got to connect a little bit off the camera um, as well. And, and just kind of, like I said, the back and forth of just understanding what it took for him to get to where he is in his career. Yeah, so part you know part of this uh, the the intro that I gave the the facetious tone was in part because dude one of the last com- I don't I don't even know if you remember this so one of the last conversations I remember it I, I already know what you're gonna say yeah. what? I remember it. <laughs> I bet you remember it I yeah. feel ter- I, I feel terrible to this day Duncan so for anyone that doesn't know, know I already know everybody brace yourself this is a good one okay? I I asked Duncan what country he wanted to play in. <laughs> He said the and U.S. of A. At the time, I thought it was, you know, a reasonable question. And the, it the, was. the look you gave me, though, was like, it was amazing. It was, you know, you little piece of shit. You would ask me this question. <laughs> of course, I want to try to play in the NBA. And, you know, at that time, though, you go back to your senior year. I mean, you've been, you've been pulled out of the starting lineup in the middle of your senior year, right? And it was just, yeah. a, it was, it's just an amazing story, an amazing run, and it's just like it's all a credit to the work you put in. It's it's phenomenal, man. Congratulations to everything. Mm, yes, I appreciate. It. I mean, first and foremost, it was an incredibly reasonable question. <laughs> really, it was. Um, you know, I I think I was probably the only person um, that thought I had a chance of, of playing in the NBA, and um, you know, I 
I guess the journey that I kind of took is incredibly indicative of, of my career path in general. So um, I, you know, I might've shot you a look. Um, it wasn't any sort of disrespect or anything more so um, just kind of acknowledging the moment for what it was. And sure. obviously uh, you know, I've, I've carried that with me as you can maybe tell <laughs> along with, with plenty of other interactions. So Duncan, I know you've probably been asked a billion times, like what, what did you do, you know, to get, you know, from where you were when you left college to where you're at right now today. But one thing, and we can get into that too, if you want, but one, one thing I did want to talk about is the notion that, you know, athletes like high level athletes, by the time they're like, a, you know, in basketball, especially we hear this all the time. If you're like a sophomore or a junior or a senior in college, if you're a junior or senior, it's like, no, you're never going to play in the NBA. You've missed your shot. You've wasted your moment or whatever. It's not going to come. And we talk to pro athletes all the time and they say, look guys, like these guys aren't reaching their peak till they're like 25, 26 years old. I don't know. understand you know, could you kind of walk us through sort of, you know, what that's like for somebody, you were a five-year college player. I mean, you were one of the more unique situations ever, but for somebody that, you know, your, your, your peak as an athlete is not as a sophomore in college or even a senior in college. Yeah. I mean, I think the traditional trend that obviously everyone's seeing is that, um, you know, potentially showing younger and younger and that obviously, you know, the one and done trend in college basketball you got to show promise as a freshman or, or sophomore um, if you're going to be on NBA radars. And that's, it's very understandable and, and, mm-hmm. and reasonable. Um, I think that like every trend, there's, there's cases outside of the norm that, you know, can still be successful. Um, and, you know, for myself personally, um, you know, I, I loved my time in Michigan and um, I took so much from it and I improved so much as a player and learned a lot as a person as well. Um, I felt that, I had more um, that I could showcase than, than what I was being asked to do at Michigan. And that's not, I wasn't bitter about that. I wasn't, yeah. you know, we were winning games. We went to the freaking national championship my senior year. Um, I think, I think that I have more to be frank. Um, now the other thing that I've learned in my basketball journey is that situation and opportunity is damn near everything. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody can play once you get to a certain level and um, you got to be surrounded by the right people or situations um, and you have to be, you know, it's timing, luck. So many things are outside of people's control. Now you can make your own luck and you can put in the work and you can be ready for those moments. And obviously that's incredibly important as well, but you also have to be um, given those, those moments. And sometimes it takes things outside of your control. Now that's not to say that, like I said, I I love the role that I played at Michigan and we won a ton of games Mm -hmm. and I don't regret a single thing about Michigan and, you know, Coach Beeline made me into a player that I didn't think I would necessarily ever become. Um, but I do think that – I did think that there was potentially more, and I felt like that could do a little bit more. Is there a such thing – like, do you think, uh, especially the way that, that you play, um, is there such a thing to your, your, someone's game actually fitting the NBA better, just spacing the flow of the game, things like that, that, you know, college is just a very – it's just a different brand of basketball – in a lot of ways too. Is that, does any of that go into what you've been able to do that does, it is kind of tailor made to who you are and how you play maybe? Um, I, you know, I, I think that I have a definable skill and that I can shoot. And I think that um, that's accepted and, and welcomed anywhere. I think that particularly in the NBA, it's emphasized even more. Um, I don't, know exactly why that necessarily is why it's not emphasized at the college level to that extent um with that being said i also think that i could have done some of the things that i do now in college um i wasn't asked to do them and that's 
that's not me. Once again, I know I keep reemphasizing yeah, this because yeah. it's important I get this point across. That's not me speaking negatively towards any coach or scheme or anything. Because what we did, I mean, we were one of the best offensive teams in the country. Right. So for me to space the floor and for the most, for the greater parts of games, kind of be in the corner or on the wing, um, that was effective for us. Now, what I do now is I'm, I'm in a lot more action and whether it be dribble handoffs or catch and shoots and stuff like that. Um, we kind of use me as, as a way to diversify our offense away from ball screen. So it's not just ball screen dominant all the time. Yeah, I mean, when, and uh, when you right. say that you have a definable skill, I also think, you know, just watching you now, um, and it's it, a lot of it is watching guys. I imagine you've watched J.J. Redick and Kyle Korver, guys like Clay, you know, just endlessly. And, you know, how how hard you have to work in an offensive set, you know, the way that you run off the ball, you know, you can't – it's just constant sprinting. I remember watching, like, Redick when he was on the Sixers uh, mm-hmm. for that stretch. Yeah. And you're just watching this guy who's, like, 35 years old just – like running balls out yeah. on every right. single off every single screen. Like it, if people are who are who don't watch the NBA think that you're just like floating around and just lofting jumpers up when you're open. Like it is not that at all. Yeah, I mean JJ said it um, when when we did our podcast. Ninety percent of my shots are threes, and he he's not quite there. I mean, he he diversifies his shot selection a little bit more than I do. Um, and maybe someday I'll, I'll get to that point, or maybe I won't. But when a team knows that that's the only thing you're trying to do, people don't realize how challenging it is to just get off 10, 11 threes in a game. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that, that I really grew with is that it's not necessarily about making shots. It's about being able to get them off and developing a skill set that you can, can get them off. Um, because what's every offense trying to do? They're trying to get threes and layups. So what's every defense trying to do? Trying to stop teams from getting threes and layups. So when you have a guy that shoots 90% of his shots are threes, obviously they're going to try to get me to not shoot threes. Every single scouting report, I'm sure, says get him off the line, make him put it on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that I – it took time. I mean, it took – I'm still I'm still learning. Um, it's a, it's an ongoing thing for sure. That, that's something that – was part of your deal in Michigan, though. I mean, you came to Michigan as a prolific player at a, at a lower level, but when you got there, the whole thing was, well, this guy can shoot. So I assume the first two years, every single scouting report that you saw was, he come, Duncan Robinson comes in the game, he's shooting. So we got to run him up, right? I mean, I'm sure that's something you've been working on for five years, six years at this point. Yeah, for sure. And and it was different at Michigan in that, um, like I referenced earlier, I was, I was in less action. So sure. my advantage to our offense became – okay, this guy's not going to help off the him, so let's put him here and let's play four on four and let's play with more space um, and create more opportunity for our drivers, attackers, um, mm-hmm. or just open up the paint. For me now, the kind of change that it has kind of taken is that let's put him in the action and create overreactions. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's get two on the ball and let's see if he can, you know, play, you know, hit bam on a pocket pass and now all of a sudden we're playing four on three on the backside. So that's kind of the, the difference in philosophy. And that's not to say that one's right or one's wrong. One just puts me in the action and the other one um, keeps me out of it. Basically. Yeah. It also keeps my defender out of it. Is there anything to the point too that, you know, when you're, I, I find an issue in the college game. I mean, I mean, maybe it's the same thing in the NBA. I don't know, but like in the college game, your, your roles are defined and part of it is from the recruiting process of when you're brought in to fill this spot on the court in this role. And I don't know if it's because the NBA is so different in player movement 
is way more all over the place that guys come in and it's you watch them okay this guy can do this so we're going to use him in, in that way there's no there's no kind of preconceived notions there's no it, does that make sense is there anything to that yeah, I mean, there's obviously more um, player movement in the NBA. Um, the other thing is there's 82 games. So a guy might sit out four or five games, and, and that might give somebody an opportunity to step in and play. Um, college, the other thing you have is, you know, um, change in, in classes. You know, guys go freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. Coaches know exactly how their rosters are going to look year in, year out. Obviously, you have the transfer thing, which sure. is kind of taken over in college basketball. But – you know, we they know, okay, Muhammad and Duncan are graduating this year. Who's gonna fill in and next year? We have these guys coming in, we have freshmen who are gonna be sophomores who have the chance to take on one role, whatever it may be. Um, so there's a little bit more definition per se, um, in roles. Now that's not I guess mm -hmm. don't get it misconstrued in that we have very defined roles. Uh okay. you know, in Miami obviously as well. Um, you know, if I start doing thirty ball screens a game it's just not going to happen. Uh, you know, that's, that's for Jimmy and Goran and, and those guys. Um, but it, there's, it's a little bit more set, I would say. Yeah. In, in, mm -hmm. in college and the rotations are, are tighter. The thing that I really like about the NBA is you kind of know what you're looking at night in and night out. Um, if you're in the rotation, you're going to get 10 to 15 minutes at least. Um, if you're not, you're not going to play. And that's just kind of how it is. College, you know, somebody might get in foul trouble and then all of a sudden somebody's getting thrown in in the first half. You know, just crazy stuff kind of happens because it's it's every single game. It's we by any means necessary. We got to do all hands on deck to, to win this game. When did you sort of know that you could hang in the NBA that like maybe this is going to work? Maybe I have a chance here. When did you sort of know that like, OK, like I, I could probably figure something out here? Um, I don't necessarily say there's there was one moment. Um, You know, I think it was kind of an, an ongoing thing and, uh, you know, building confidence takes time. And for me, it's, it's a combination of obviously the work that I put in outside of it. Um, but then also kind of seeing that come to fruition, uh, you know, you need to see the ball go through and live competition yeah. against the best players. Um, you know, last year I, I couldn't hit water if I jumped out of a boat. I mean, I, it was small sample, but like I, I couldn't shoot and people were mm -hmm. like, this guy's supposed to shoot. He doesn't make shots. Like he's the best shooter who can't shoot I've ever seen. Um, and then this year is kind of the same thing. Preseason, I couldn't make a shot. And I knew it was only a matter of time until I got comfortable. And then, um, you know, they, they started to fall. So it's, there wasn't one specific moment. I think the G league season that I put together last year was um, showed some signs, but then obviously I needed to prove it that I could do it in the NBA. But were you concerned at all? Like, Am I, like you just said earlier, were you concerned, am I going to be able to get enough off? Am, am I going to be able to work myself open the way I need to? Because these guys are going to – I mean, was that a concern? And, and Like, is that something that gets alleviated gradually over time? Like you said, like, okay, it's got, it was easier tonight than it was yesterday, so, you know, it's going to get a little bit better. Um, Probably the, the biggest area of concern was going to be how big of a window of opportunity was I yeah. going to get. Right. Um, and as an undrafted player, it's very small. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I knew that. And I'm very appreciative of, of this organization, um, obviously starting with, with Pat Riley at the top, but, but really Coach Bo, um, yeah, he's instilled a ton, a ton of belief in me and really let me go and, and given me opportunity when not many other people necessarily thought that, that I should have. Um, so a ton of credit to him. And, um, you know, as I was given that opportunity and things weren't going my way, then the, the you know, like anything, doubt starts to doubt starts to creep in and you think, Oh, how long is this going to last? How long, how many more chances am I going to get? 
Um, and eventually, you know, I was, I was able to, to see some going, which helps. That's got to be pretty intense, man. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Those, yeah. those nights, that's, that has to be pretty intense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, you don't want to put all the chips on the line for, for one moment or, or definitely not one game. But, um, you know, for me, it's, it's kind of just been believing in the whole process of things and understanding that all the repetitions and all the time that I've put into this and um, something's going to give eventually. And, and even if it doesn't, when you think that it should, just keep going and, and something will give eventually. Sure. Um, that's kind of been a, a mantra for my whole career is just stack as many good days on top of each other and, you know, just kind of see where the chips fall after that. Especially as being a shooter, you know, it's like, it's like the golfer who can't, you know, can't figure out a yeah. shot. It's just, it's so mental. And we've talked about this a lot. Um, but, you know, just uh, those times, because the amount of guys that you look at their careers and you're like, that guy played three games in the NBA. Like, how is that? Miles Simon, watching the 97 National Championship game. Yeah. Miles Simon played three games in the NBA. That's crazy. You're like, how the fuck is that even possible? <laughs> you know? And, and here you are. I mean, there's got to be a part of it does have to be that that you're able to wake up with a mind, you know, understanding how to how your mind works has to be something that is probably a little indescribable, but also paramount. Yeah, and, and I referenced it earlier too. I mean, I think so much of it is is situation and fit and opportunity. Um and for me, I mean, there, there are players that can transcend that and are, are talented enough to just overcome that. I'm certainly not one of those players. Um, and that I, I needed the right things to kind of break my way. Um, that's not to say that my whole career is luck, but you, know, you have to do the necessary things on your end. Um, but with that being said, I mean, I, I've been fortunate enough to, to have some things break my way. And, and everybody needs that to some extent. Um, but I, I definitely think there's so many people that are talented enough to be impactful um, in the NBA at this level. And, and so much of it is just having the opportunity to to showcase. Yeah, it's so interesting. We just talked to Derek Walton the other day, and it was the same type of thing because it was like the same conversation. It was like, you know, it's the right time, right this, right that. If it's not, you know, then you got to just keep it moving. And you're living out of a suitcase. He was talking about that at times, too, you know, how it's just like lightning. Sometimes you just don't know. And then, boom, there it is. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think Derek's a, a great example of that. I mean, he had stretches when he got opportunities with the Clippers this year that yeah. he played great. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, like I said, I, I just can't reiterate enough. It, it's, it can be discouraging when you have those and then things don't go your way. And mm-hmm. for me, it's just always about just continue to show up, show up every single day. And eventually um, something will hopefully get. So I want to talk a second about uh, the heat and this the idea of, you know, heat culture that people talk about. And, and obviously, you know, Juwan is as big of a product of, of that um, in recent memory. And now you've been in the organization now for for a while and having a like pretty significant role within things. Now you probably have a different perspective maybe on what that means than you did last offseason when Michigan hired Juwan. Um, for, for where you are now and your perspective on things, you know, what does that mean? mean this idea that we hear about of heat culture and all that and is something like that transferable to the college game in any way whether it's on the court whether it's operationally whatever it might be uh first and foremost absolutely i I think it is transferable Hmm. um you know i I think the the biggest thing that's stuck out to me about heat culture and like you said you know you kind of hear it a lot and it in some cases is taken on a life of its own um they do an incredible job of maximizing every day. And that's 
for every player, whether it be, you know, one or 15. Um, and that's something that, that I experienced obviously this year, but, but really last year in that, you know, here's an undrafted guy on a two-way contract who's really hardly in the NBA. Um, you know, I'd come up for maybe half or even less than half the season. Um, and they were investing in me like I was a lottery pick. Um, every single day I was being maximized, whether we were on the road, at home. Um, if I wasn't playing, which I wasn't for most of last year, I was getting my workouts and conditioning um, shots, making sure my body's right, you know, weight and body fat, all that stuff was, was just being, I was being held accountable to that all the time. Um, I think that's absolutely uh, trans transferable to college. And I think there's a lot of similarities to, to really how we ran stuff with coach Beeline in Michigan. Um, there might be a little different kind of terminology or, or way things are gone about, but there's a lot of similarities. It's just really about being a professional and handling your business. Um, and they do as good of a job as any. Nick, do you have any follow-up on that before we uh, jump into I mean, else? I think, because it's hard. I mean, when we talk about cultures being transferred from NBA to college, I mean, there's there's so much of that. Like, what parts of it, what parts of that yeah. can actually be really realistically, you know, put in put in a college atmosphere when, you know, like you said, I mean, it's maximizing every day when you, when you get, what, three hours a day? I mean, it's, or whatever it ends up being. <laughs> I mean, it's hard. But, like, what yeah. realistically maybe can be, you know, kind of squeezed out of the towel that, that they could maybe, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. Um, you know, college, college, obviously, you know, with the rules, you know, poses yeah. some different challenges in regards to that. Um, but I, I really think that just like the mindset and, and what's pushed in terms of how we're going to handle business mm -hmm. um, is really, really important. I mean, I, I've been in locker rooms where, you know, we've had that sort of accountability. Um, and I've been in locker rooms where there, there haven't, there hasn't yeah. been that. And there's a noticeable difference. And, you know, in my experience, in my playing experience, accountability is like the biggest buzzword that people love to throw around um, in terms of like what it means to hold somebody accountable. Um, and some people think that, oh, just because so-and-so yelled at somebody else to do this better or right. do that, he's holding somebody accountable. In my experience, and I really didn't really understand this until I was a senior in Michigan and, and started to actually have to hold people accountable is that accountability takes place way before that moment that somebody else calls somebody else out. Mm -hmm. um, but it instead takes place when you build the relationship and actually like connect with the person that understand that, look, this, this isn't personal. Um, but like you have to get this done or else we're going to find somebody else who can. And there's so much ego that's at stake there in that, especially as college kids, um, and really professionals too, obviously, um, and like trying to figure that out. Um, but it's absolutely like imperative when it comes to winning in that when you can get to the point when you can have that type of conversation and then step on the court and like not even bat an eyelash at it and not have it become this thing that's like, you know, toxic in the locker room, that's yeah. when you can actually put something towards winning. And that's what we had in 2018, mm -hmm. um, you know, amidst our team, like we had guys and it, it wasn't necessarily just seniors, but like we had younger guys who would step up and say such too, um, you know, sophomores and juniors. And then, you know, guys just kind of filled in the different roles when it came to that and to the point where everybody was holding everybody else accountable. Yeah. Did that, and, and that's something that has to happen over the course of the year. And, you know, it's, it's so funny when you see like fans react to and media, you know, obviously yeah, um, we do react to early losses and things like that. And you're mm -hmm. just like, 
you know, the, the longer that we do this, it's just like now I, I don't even really care anymore what happens in November and December because I'm like, this is going to be a completely different group, good or bad. Yeah. Right. This is going to be a completely right. different group come the last two weeks of February. And that's really all that matters in this thing. But it's just wild how things can change because you, know, you go back and you remember like, what was it, the loss at Northwestern or whatever. You guys were like eight and five in that team. And it was kind of yeah. like, eh, I don't know what this team is. And, you know, yeah. and then it just all hell broke loose. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that's the teams that have that are the teams that get better. Um, and actually, you see that upward curve uh, trajectory throughout a season. And I think that's what made Coach Beeline teams so special is that he had that hardwired into us. Um, it wasn't an option of whether or not we were going to be better at the end of the season um, versus the beginning. Like it was going to happen. Um, and we put in the time and hours and uh, took all the necessary steps to make sure, make sure that happens. And that's something that, you know, you absolutely see also, or I see on a, on a day-to-day basis with the heat. Um, you know, our team is, has totally transformed between opening night to now. How long ago no. does 2018 feel at this point? Yeah. Um, uh, it feels, <laughs> it feels like a long time ago. It really does. I mean, that, um, yeah, I agree by the way. Yeah. I mean, the, <laughs> Just the amount of the amount of things that have transpired between now and then, whether it be, you know, the stuff that's more immediate to me in my own career, um, or just like things in general, uh, it just yeah, it's feels like forever ago. Well, you want to go back there, Brendan? Sure. I mean, you know, this is about that time that you guys were going to compete for a national championship. And um, earlier today, when I was kind of thinking about this conversation, I thought back on. I had a recent talk with a guy who was an assistant for those Arizona teams that Miles Simon was on, and he was—he just got really intense when he started talking about the morning that he woke up of the national championship game. Mm. And I wonder if you could kind of tell us from your perspective that story of when you wake up and there's a game of that magnitude. It's not—it's not a best of seven NBA series, right? It's you get one shot, yeah. that's it. Villanova's a monster. Um, what's it like, kind of waking up that? day because it would be this monday two years ago yeah i mean i I just remember the the sunday and monday um in between obviously you know winning on saturday night and then competing on monday night was just felt like eternity um (laughs) you know it just all the whole world is is on that game every single news outlet whatever is covering this matchup and hyper analyzing it to the point where like it's just exhausting. Um, and when you're a part of it, you just, you want to like consume it because you want to have this moment and appreciation for like how big this is. But at the same time, it's like, you also want to turn it off because it's distracting and it's just these noises that are keeping you away from really what's most important, which is obviously going out and, um, and competing and winning. Um, you know, I have a ton of, I don't want to say regrets because I don't really try not to have any sort of regrets. Um, obviously, I, I wish I had played a whole lot better um, on Monday night and I, I wish we had played a whole lot better. So looking back, I mean, there's a, there's a certain level of pain um, that comes with, with kind of thinking about that game, but uh, obviously also a ton of appreciation uh, just to have had that experience with those guys. Obviously, you know, we're, we're bonded together for life. Because of that. And is that is that Monday in general the longest Monday of your life? At that, I mean, because I mean that's it's like the game starts at like 10 p.m. Yeah, Eastern time yeah. or something yeah. ridiculous. Um, I mean, it's absurd, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, the, like I said, I mean, I referenced it, just the buildup in general, man. Yeah. I mean, it's no stone is is uh, <laughs> no. not being turned over. Uh, so, you know, and, and also from from our perspective, preparation perspective of of trying to get ready for a team like that. Um, obviously, so much went into that as well to the point where you're just you're just happy to be out there and competing um, come Monday. And right, that is. And what's it kind of? Uh... The if you could describe the out of body kind of uh, experience that comes with when you actually get on a run like that, right? You guys finish with five straight wins at the end of the regular season, four straight wins in the Big Ten tournament. Then, you know, obviously JP shot against Houston, and now you go ripping and tearing through LA, and it's just kind of it all. It's all happening, and it's it's almost hard to stop and realize like what the hell's going on right now, you know? And it, when you're in it like that. Um, I mean, this is the beauty of March. You know, just what's it kind of yeah. like to to go on kind of that carpet ride? I mean, you just feel invincible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every every single game that we would win built more and more confidence to the point where you would get in these games, and it's like sometimes I'll look back and, and watch these games. Because I've looked back and, and watched a lot of them. There'll be like these gut wrenching moments of like just you know in the mud type of games, and it's like back and forth lead changes and like looking back like i had no doubt in my mind that we were going to win all of those which is crazy which is crazy to think like the only time in that entire run that i was like oh wow this this might be it for my college career was when i fouled out against houston and um devin davis goes to the line and i'm like yeah this is it um that was literally the only time not even when we were down big against villanova i was like oh we're gonna come back and win because like Hmm. I don't know what whatever it is like. I don't know if I'm the only one who thinks this, but I I like to think that people have a propensity to believe that like their own life is this like storybook ending yeah. all the time. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Right. And that yeah. like it's just yeah. gonna turn out in your favor. Maybe I'm just like overly optimistic in that regard. But like I just always felt like we were gonna win, and every time that we would win, it just built on top of that. You can only be your own protagonist. You're only gonna- right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> It's like you didn't make me go all the way here to lose, right? Like this isn't going to happen, you know. Exactly, like, yeah. exactly. Yeah. When when you say that you've gone back and watched some of those games, is, is there any one that um what's the one that I don't know, sits on the surface the most? I love the the semifinal um Big 10 tournament game against Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. that in the garden. What a um, crowd. Oh my gosh. What yeah. Crowd. I mean just bo- like both ways though. I mean it wasn't yeah. obviously Michigan fans turned out big time, but Michigan State was obviously well represented as well, and just two like bitter rivals who really did not try to hide the fact they didn't like each other, um, just going at it. And it was a back and forth game, and um, you know to, to beat your rival on that stage and the chance to go to the Big Ten championship that was that was pretty sweet. Nick, and that I- is still the best yeah. postseason basketball atmosphere I've ever been in, and I've been to Final Fours. I mean, like Final Fours right. are different. I put them aside because they're in football stadiums now, but like. For a basketball arena, I mean, that was I've never seen anything like it. I probably never will again. That was crazy. It was one of those, like, Nick and I talked about this. It was like a half an hour before tip-off. And you're just kind of walking around the building, and there was like an energy in the air. You're like kind of looking around. You're like, it is going to get real in here. This is is big time. There might be some blood on the court in this this game. And, you know, Mo is like laughing during pregame warm-ups. And you're just like, "Uh uh-oh. This is going to get weird. Yeah. Yeah. And then the first, within the first two, three minutes, there's like multiple scrums. Yeah. I mean, I, at that point I was, I was on the bench. I was like dying to check in the game. I'm like, <laughs> just get me out. Cause I was like starting to feel kind of like what you said, this like 
jittery excitement, anxiety, like just wanting to be out there and just kind of letting it go. Um, but that was, I mean, that was awesome. Just incredibly fun to be a part of. I don't know if it's the garden or what. They don't call it the world's famous, one oh, of the man. most famous arena. Oh, I don't know God. what it is, but it was like 22,000 people and it was like 11,000 Michigan fans and 11,000 Michigan State yeah. fans. And it was like, all right, let's just have it out. And you're like, okay, everyone in here is just going to fight for three hours and it's going to be awesome. And that's what right. it was. It was amazing. Great, great stuff. When you are now, you know, pursuing your your life, right, your career and you're an adult and you're moved on from college and all this stuff, we, we love asking this question to, to guys that – have a lot of post-college success. Um, you're out of college. You have been for a while. You have a awesome life. You're in Miami. You're in the NBA. It's great and all this. But, like, there's just something about college sports where you're just so inextricably tied to it. And I imagine you still get every arena you play in. You probably hear Michigan people yelling at you because the alumni base has a billion people in it. Um, just, you know, kind of what is that, like – What's that like at your age to kind of you're moved on, but you're whether you want to or not, <laughs> you know, people are still going to put the the college tag on you. Just a lot of it's your success, of course, in at Michigan. But um, what's that? What's that kind of like to live through? I mean, first and foremost, I take a ton of pride on the fact that I played at Michigan. I love Michigan. Um, you know, some of my best basketball experiences and memories to this day. Um, obviously you know, we're had at Michigan. So to you said it, I mean, the fan base and, um, you know, people are just everywhere and so many, I, I mean, every single game I, I get go blues and, um, that sort of thing, or just if I'm walking around, it's, it's more probably go blues than, than anything else. Um, and I, I like I said, I just take a ton of pride. I, I love to follow the guys and, uh, obviously, you know, the seniors this year I, I played with, um, so, I've obviously been invested in their careers finishing up and will be, will continue to be, but even past them. And obviously now that Jawan's there too, I, you know, I have a relationship with Jawan. So I'm excited for, for that um, as well. So, you know, Michigan will always hold a really very, very special place in my heart. And, um, you know, like I said, just take a ton of pride in, in being an alum. Uh, the uh, just, it's just the mass of people just never ceases to, Amaze me. I mean, I I know of two other St. Joe's grads in the state of Michigan. It's me, Langston Galloway, and another guy. So <laughs> another guy. there you go. <laughs> so there is an untold story of the 2018 Final Four um, that we're going to get into here for a second and uh, see what what uh, what Duncan's willing to share. Um, but this is a. Uh, it's a story that you I, – I don't even remember when that conversation was, but um, would always wonder if it would ever be told publicly. But, you know, here we go. So this will be interesting. Um, it's 2017, right? Or 18. 18. Duncan, yep. you were – as a preface, you were always extremely um, aware, wanting to be involved with the uh, discussion around student-athlete compensation, student-athlete welfare – rights, um, whether it be pay for play or name for name and likeness. These were conversations that you were having in, in real time, right? Um, and then Michigan goes to the final four and you're on the biggest stage. You are a socially conscious person and, uh, and conversations started and I'll let you take the story from there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I'd, I'd say student athlete welfare, um, you know, first and foremost, but you know, obviously that was, a, it was a challenging time for, for me um, just because, 
I had had these opinions that I had developed over time. Um, and I'll start with saying this just to kind of background and I'll try not to get on too, too long of a monologue here. Um, <laughs> but I'll start with this for a background. You know, I, I came from playing in division three gyms that barely held a thousand people. Um, so I, I know what quote unquote playing for the love of the game is. Um, and I have a ton of appreciation for that. And I, I still think that should be valued and cherished and protected. Um, I think that when I, when I came to Michigan, I was blown away by the facilities and the resources and all these opportunities um, that were now coming my way. I, re I remember having a conversation with my friend that our strength coach was now being paid to work me out and that it was so backwards in my entire <laughs> life that I had been paying all these people to work me out. But now it was some guy's job to work me out um, versus like me being the one that's opening my wall to, to pay. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And I'm, I'm so grateful for the University of Michigan. And I just, I don't want that to get lost yeah, uh, yeah. at all. And I think that the thing, the, the area that I really struggled with was understanding that I was incredibly privileged and it was a privilege to play at the University of Michigan, but that you can still be privileged and also be getting exploited. Um, and I didn't necessarily think that I was like, you know, I wasn't the face of Michigan basketball when I was there. I was just kind of a, a role player. Um, I was, I was obviously a part of the team um, and, you know, made some shots or whatever, but I wasn't the the face that you may see as the resounding arguments for these like pay for play um, articles or, or mm -hmm. segments, whatever you want to call them, like the Zion Williamson's or, you know, the one and done guys for the most part. Um, so basically I, I developed these opinions and we can get into what my opinions are on it. If you would like, I think um, we're down for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I started to develop these opinions and then it kind of came to this point, this like nexus of, I have these opinions and now I have this platform. So would I be, I don't know, insert any sort of word coward or not taking advantage of an opportunity sure. to back down from this, these two things divert or uh, these two things converging and coming together. Um, and I have people in my ear, people that I, I really trust and, and close friends that I've, I've kind of shared these experiences with, and I share these beliefs with, um, and it kind of started to pick up a little bit of steam. And, um, you know, we were talking to some of the other players and, uh, obviously on the Michigan team and just kind of some ideas were starting to, to get thrown around. Um, Obviously, nothing came to fruition of it. Um, like I said, don't necessarily have regrets towards that, but I do think that it was a missed opportunity in some sort. And to be clear, just tell the so we can discuss what you were, what the plan was, what you were going to. Yeah. So originally, I mean, all things were were on the table, so yeah. to speak. Um, originally, you know, I I have a certain interest in like the the grandiose act of like mm -hmm. you know not playing right like boycotting right. that's like the pinnacle mm -hmm. um that seemed far-fetched that seemed yep. like that wasn't possible right. you know there wasn't and that would we punish gonna, you guys too right and yep. it would punish us right. yeah and, right. and, and, and that was going to take a completely united front um mm -hmm. which i felt and kind of we felt the kind of cohort of people that were putting this together was unattainable um so then we started to look at at other options and we kind of consulted people that were particularly well versed in this kind of um 
sphere, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. And then we thought about some other things and it kind of became, all right, well, we have this meaningless open practice um, the Friday night or the Friday during the day before games on Saturday. Mind you, all the teams have another separate practice, close practice at a, you know, uh, auxiliary gym somewhere else on that Friday. So this practice is literally us like parading around dunking, Cattle. shooting Cattle. threes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like <laughs> for pictures and everything. Yeah. yeah it's like ridiculous. Um, you know, the victors is playing fans are there and it's, it might be great for fans. I understand that, but like that felt kind of like the epitome of what was kind of wrong mm-hmm. with the NCAA. Yeah. Um, so we had this idea. All right, let's, let's not do that practice. Um, but we also decided like just us not doing this isn't really going to, I mean, it might create a little buzz or whatever, but we said, you know what, let's, let's get all of the teams to not practice. Um, mm-hmm. and we had some connections with, with the remaining three teams and we had kind of developed some steam, um, in maybe making this happen. And then there, like I said, we just, we really wanted to have a united front, um, just because we didn't want to be like the one team or we didn't want coach beeline to be the one coach and you know, so on and so forth. We wanted it to be a, a kind of collective thing and we just couldn't get to that point. So the plan was that we were going to not practice and then um, just kind of not say anything about what was going to follow and, and maybe kind of build some sort of, you know, obviously get eyeballs and attention to what was going on and, and the statement we were trying to make, but then also maybe see like, wow, I mean, they're not practicing. Let's, Maybe they won't play. And um, we were we were going to play. Uh, I couldn't imagine a scenario where we wouldn't. I hope that maybe someday somebody has the, um, you know, whatever, balls or <laughs> sag, whatever you want to call it, to, to do that. We weren't going to do that. Um, but we wanted to at least have this idea of, like, kind of doubt maybe creep into these decision-makers' minds. Yeah, I mean, I've always thought the people that have said, like, oh, man, guys should just boycott the Final Four one time. I or games like not play and I'm like that just yeah. you work all year What's to go play those yeah. games that just it doesn't make any sense but the open practice I mean you're right it is yeah. so represent representative of exactly yeah. what you're talking about because frankly like it's wasting time you were playing this massive game where you should be having a real practice not being paraded right. around um so you know in real time um the process and for, for anyone listening here like Duncan is not trying to throw people's names out there. And, you know, there's there's yeah. there's going to be a certain vagueness here for a reason, right? That you want to share this story, but not drag other people in. So just for anyone wondering, um, that, like, when did you think, shit, we might actually do this? And then when did you realize, like, all right, this is kind of falling through? Um, so I talked to two teams mates who I was particularly close with that I felt like I could convince. Um, and it kind of turned out they didn't need that much convincing. Um, and then it, it kind of, it kind of snowballed into, all right, if we get, you know, a certain collection of people on this team, then we'll have the rest of the team. And we kind of got to that point. Um, and that's when it was like, wow, okay, this is feasible. Um, then we kind of developed a plan to we had connections to other teams through our players um then it kind of turned into let's reach out and and kind of gauge other people's interests and i think that maybe part of the issue would have been that 
the message wasn't being conveyed um, in maybe the most effective way um, to the point where there was kind of this uncertainty of whether or not people were going to follow through. And, and then once you get to this point where it's like, you know, oh yeah, well, I'll do it. But like so-and-so doesn't want to do it. And, you know, it just kind of started to crumble from there. Um, and that's when I kind of started to realize, and, th- and this wasn't just in like a stretch of 20 minutes where we were like talking, this was like over kind of the days leading up um, that this was going to be really hard to get everybody on board. And, and I, if I remember you saying like, part of the concern was also having to make sure that everyone was on the same page for this is why we want to do this. Cause you couldn't yeah. have, you couldn't have guys, you know, boycott and open practice. And then when we go ask them questions, have people saying different reasons of yeah. why this is happening, yeah. you know, that it's all really hard to do on the fly basically. Yeah. And, th- and that's the United front I'm referring to. Right. Um, and also that, like you said, I mean, all it takes is one kind of misguided soundbite to yeah. for the media to shape an entire narrative that we're not really mm-hmm. about or trying to push um, or standing for, for that matter. So that's that was kind of the risk that we were really running. And then that's when I started to feel that this is kind of dangerous and that um, this could kind of take on a life that we don't necessarily want it to, mm-hmm. I guess. You, you said earlier that uh, I found it interesting. You said you look back and, and think maybe it was a missed opportunity. Do you still feel like maybe, you know, you wish you could have, no regrets, but do you wish maybe you, you would have stuck with it and tried to figure out a way to get that? Because the impact would have been pretty massive. I mean, it would have been a big deal. Yeah, I obviously. mean, I, I do I do think it was a, a big time missed opportunity. Um, you know, like I said, I don't necessarily regret anything, but I mm-hmm. do think that that, practice uh specifically is a great opportunity and um i think that i obviously encourage other team future teams to to consider um you know i i also think that it's it's so challenging because you know something that we talk a lot about here with like the heat and something that's kind of been introduced to me is that it's so easy to tell somebody to sacrifice but then it kind of changes once you're the person that's sacrificing. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's easy to point some to somebody over there and say, "Hey, just sacrifice for the better of, of everybody else." But like when you're the guy who's being pointed at, it's like, "Oh, this isn't fair." But like, and that that's kind of the challenge of this, and that's really the challenge of getting somebody to not play on a final, like in a final four game. In that, like, no, screw that. Like I, you know, we've come, overcome to get here. Like we're playing, and I totally that that resonates with me too. I totally get that. Um, but it's it's going to take a incredibly motivated and, and passionate group about this um, issue uh, for it to really get done. And it's also saying that, like you said, you understand, you know, a player that says, "I played four years of college basketball. I got my ass up at five a.m. every day, and all this. Yeah. I'm going to this open practice because this is for me, and my dad's here, my mom's here, whatever. Right. And like that's part of it too. And that's yeah." I mean, I'm, I'm, I would have probably been the ultimate example of yeah. somebody this being their pinnacle of their basketball yeah. career. Right. Um, definitely according to to Brendan. Yeah, um, right. exactly. and, you know, that, this this is gonna that was gonna be it for me. Um, so you know, for me, I I was still trying to think about, you know, what's what's potentially more important here. Um, and also, I tried to steer clear of like the self serving notion that this is for like my own notoriety. Cause it really yeah. wasn't about that right. in that more. So like, 
you know, you have the chance to be on the right side of history, which is, is pretty special because I think it's going to happen eventually. Um, and once again, I, I want it to be clear here. I don't think that the NCAA should be shoving money into, into players' pockets. I, I think that mm-hmm. there's a, a, a smart way to go about this. Um, and I just don't think what's happening right now is that. So when you were out there that day, putting up shots and running around, was it, did it end up being, you know, it is supposed to be something you enjoy, but did it end up being kind of bittersweet where you're just like, look at this, look at this road show. Um, yeah. I mean, there were some, there were some jokes being made back and forth and uh, definitely some, some angst uh, amidst the whole thing. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you're playing in the final four, you're about to, you're on like mm-hmm. the biggest stage you're in this 80,000 foot arena or like 80,000, um, you know, person arena. And it's just like, it's cool. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, they, they do an incredible job. They roll out the ultimate red carpet. So it's like, I totally get why I, I just see the, the inner conflict there. So you mentioned your opinions that we could get into them a little bit on, I mean, outside of maybe some obvious stuff, what are some maybe specific ones that, you know, injustices or what have you that you noticed throughout the course of time that would be really easy to fix? Cause that's what I always look at it. And I say, there are things that I see that these kids have to go through that are ridiculous Oh, you know, or they're not getting something and it would, they would be pretty painless for somebody to do this and they just don't do it. Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, I think a great step was made in terms of the player likeness. I, I think that's, yeah. that's been a no brainer. Um, it, it's good to hear that people have come around on that. Um, you know, like, like I referenced earlier, I don't think the answer is, you know, just putting people, putting money in people's pockets. Yeah. And, and I think that if you were to really look at this, if that was the the solution that people are recommending, you're looking at not very much money for the vast majority of these student athletes to the point where it's really, yeah, it might fix this problem that people think is happening, but it's not necessarily a solution um, in terms of like, it's going to change this individual's life because the, the vast majority wouldn't be making right. life changing money no. or like generational money. Like, the very, very small minority would be. So with that being said, I think the biggest focus should be on student athlete welfare in that. And I, and I don't really want to get it. It's, it's hard to navigate this, but it has to be talked about. Like there, there is a race component to it as well. Um, And I say that sort of reluctantly, because I know that's such a hot topic, but I, I think that, you know, if the real goal of like, giving this person a, a scholarship to the university um that's a people say that that's a life-changing thing in and of itself and that they have the chance to get educated and do this and that we should be maximizing or the ncaa rather should be maximizing these student athletes opportunities within the university so like i think first and foremost particularly for football i think they should have lifetime health care um for student athletes to go out every single saturday and literally, in the case of football, put their life on the line. I don't think that they should have to worry um, about a medical bill for the rest of their life. Um, that, for sure. Um, basketball as well. And then the other big one is I think that, obviously, the educational experience is severely compromised when you're a student athlete um, right. in today's day and age. And I think that they should go to greater lengths to um, supplement their education, whether that be after they leave. I think – Scholarships should be honored well past, if, you know, obviously if you leave early, some schools do that, but I also think that graduate classes and, and that sort of thing should be afforded for these students who, you know, 
I mean, it's a small example, but like I, there were, there were teammates of mine who couldn't do the majors that they wanted to do because we practiced every day from right. three mm-hmm. to six. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that their scholarship should be honored well past the days that they're just in Ann Arbor competing for um, the university of Michigan. Um, and then I think just additional areas that they they could be um, improved in terms of whether it be like monthly scholarship checks um, and that sort of thing as well. Um, I, I just think that, there's there's other ways to go about it than just putting money in players' pockets, and I think there's effective ways that are totally within the realm of possibility um, for these universities. Yeah, I do um, wonder and worry a little bit about what's happening right now globally. Um, mm-hmm. Having a unfortunate consequence in terms of the conversation that we're having because the ball was rolling. In a lot of, yeah. of what, in a lot of areas of what we're talking about here, whether it's player likeness thing, transfer rules changing, like you know, yeah. the the, NBA, the NCAA was put into a corner where it really had no other choice no but choice. to start making yeah. um, advances in these areas. And lo and behold, now, right, okay, well, the world's upside down, and now it's worrying about financing football team or football seasons and whether you know how college athletics even operates from here on that. And you know, I do. I worry. I, I think that there's going to this is going to be an opportunity almost to just backtrack or or put certain things kind of in the back seat a little bit and say, look, we have bigger things to worry about right now than uh, yeah. you know student athlete welfare. We got to make sure uh, a you know these coaches are getting paid because we got to get people in the seats. You know, so that's right, what's yeah. most important. <laughs> yeah, and I and I think obviously you know when when something like this happens, obviously. The, the necessary focus should shift to sure. what's occurring at right. hand. Um, and it, it may get pushed to the back, but I, I, I'm a firm believer that in time, like this, this will, I think it will change. And I think that obviously you said the momentum was huge that, that was building. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think obviously, hopefully this, this moves through and um, things can get back to like what we know is, is normal sooner rather than later. But I do really think it's only a matter of time until this, um, starts to kind of rear its head again. Yeah, I think name image likeness is going to stay. I think it's going to st- I don't know how you put that back in the bag. And it was something like Duncan said. I mean, it was something that was so obvious <laughs> and so yeah. easy for people to just have. And it was like, it was ridiculous. And I, I mean, it seems illegal that they didn't have it for all these years. So, I mean, I, other stuff I agree with Brendan on that one. But I think the, the NIL stuff, that seems like it'd be hard for them to right. double back. I mean, they'll try, I'm sure. But I don't, I don't know how that would get put back in the bag necessarily. And when we talked about this stuff uh, right after your final year, you, I know I'm sure a lot of it was because you were, it was still so fresh for you. But at that point I was kind of, I was picking up on a vibe that this is something that you, you hope to kind of be involved in maybe down the line. Obviously you're an NBA basketball player right now, and this will be years down the road, but like it, I did get pick up on a sense that you might want to get into some levels of social activism when it comes to, athletes and, and things like that is that still kind of really burning in you now that you're you have to focus so hard on what you do right now right but where is that kind of in your future thoughts no absolutely um you know obviously playing basketball right now is is, is my main focus um and just kind of continue to move forward with my career but um you know one thing that i've learned is there's only so many hours in the day that you can yeah, try to get better at basketball, even if it is watching all the film in the world or, or this, that, or, um, you know, the third, but like, you know, for me, so now it's kind of become, 
how am I going to meaningfully fill this other time? Um, and it's something that I've, I've increasingly been interested in. Obviously, you know, I had a particular passion for it back then because I was, I was really in it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's tough too, because back then I was also in this kind of weird point of my career where I didn't want, I didn't want to take on this label of like kind of being like that guy, I guess, mm-hmm. because I, I, I knew I needed, I obviously my ultimate goal is to play in the NBA and, I knew I needed everything, you know, breaking in my favor for that to happen. And I, and I didn't want to necessarily, they may, you know, you could maybe say this is, is selfish, particularly because I, I knew it was maybe the like, quote unquote right thing to do, but I didn't, I didn't feel like taking that on at that point. I felt like it could have potentially closed doors for me um, sure. in terms of my own basketball career. Um, and that's kind of what I refer to as, as the missed opportunity. Um but, you know, now as I kind of move forward and have a little bit better perspective of it all and, um, you know, I, I think that there is there is so much opportunity there for improvement and um, just people stepping up and, and being a voice. I, I think still to this day, it's so easy to have played college basketball and look back and say it, but the yeah. real challenge is for the ones that are in it to step up. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm definitely open to, to hear and talk to anybody who is, is playing currently and, um, is intrigued or just interested in it. Um, you know, I just think it's, it's an important issue for sure. And, and just so we're clear here, like when people listening to this wondering, you know, about what we're talking about, like it went beyond your immediate rot. Like there were other people interested in agreeing to, to do this on other teams. And like, I know you don't want to get into specifics, but this wasn't just a Michigan thing, like in terms of it actually almost happening. No, in fact, um, you know, at, when I was really starting to think about it, uh, you know, trying to execute it, I, I reached out to some people, um, former players who shared similar views based mm-hmm. off of like recommendations. Oh, you should talk to this guy. Mm-hmm. And the network went a lot deeper than I thought. Um, you know, this guy would recommend I talk to this guy and then this guy would recommend talking to this guy. It's it's pretty, it might be this, the silent majority. I mean, now it's starting to become the, the loud majority, yeah. but like at that point, it, it really felt like the silent majority of like, everyone's kind of behind this. Um, and that's why I, I feel like it's just only a matter of time. Mm-hmm. How do you think uh, Beeline would have reacted if you came to him and said, by the way, we're not playing in the uh, open practice? <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. That was one of my concerns for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I love I love Coach, but not, not that I don't think he would have been necessarily accepting. I think that you know, he's been around college basketball for so long and, and, you know, he's a innovative guy in and of itself. I, mm-hmm. I think you see it in how he handles things, but, um, you know, I think he knows how few and far between those opportunities are. Uh, and I think that it would have concerned him uh, for sure. But I, that's not to say that I don't necessarily know if he would have been open or not. I, you know, we never had the conversation. Um, but I do, I mean, the point was to get, the kind of united front to that it necessarily wasn't yeah. going to matter. You know, it's, yeah. it was kind of going to be like that. That's why we felt that the power numbers thing was so huge. And that look coach, like, it's not just us. It's, yeah. it's everybody, you know, it's everybody who's, who's in San Antonio right now. So like that was kind of the, yeah, the, the kind of drawback we were working with. The, uh, interesting th- that, that thing, uh, when, when you were, talking through that network because that that's interesting but when you're going through that yeah. that network was there anyone 
Like, what were there like warnings being put out there? Like, oh, I, you know, if you do this, it might be this, or was it pretty much all like, it's about damn time, let's go? No, it was, it was, uh, it was a thoughtful approach, which okay. which I really appreciated. Um, That's really cool. Yeah. You know, people weren't necessarily like people, particularly like I said, they were all former players, so right. they kind of, I don't want to say necessarily all of them played in the final four. I don't think they all did, but they shared this similar kind of back and forth um, and understanding of like how challenging something like this is. Um, and that it's not just a simple answer of like, Oh yeah, just show up and don't play. Um, it goes way, way deeper than that. And I, that's, that's where I, I really had an appreciation for it in that people were understanding of like, look, this is, this, these are the things you need to consider. These are the potential avenues, this, that, you know, whatever there, there were, there were a variety of, um, kind of ideas being thrown out and it wasn't just aimlessly it was it was very intentional and, and before you get out of here speaking of the 18 team we can't uh let you go without asking about your uh your fisticuffs oh with God, one mr yeah. mo wagner out there <laughs> <laughs> this is like this is like a month ago barely not even yeah. a month ago. <laughs> he's shaking his head folks you know i can't see i uh <laughs> I thought I was going to hold off a lot longer until I got my first technical. Um, yeah. Of course, of it course, it would be Mo that would provoke, um, you know, my my first. The funny thing about it is, like, so I had a turnover on that possession. Um, and Mo obviously, you know, takes advantage of the moment. It comes right up to me in my ear. And I had this moment of, like, you know, my immediate reaction is just to shove him because it's Mo. And it's like, mm-hmm. I don't even – I can't even put together that we're in an NBA game. You know what I mean? I literally feel like we're, right. you know, Mo and I are like, I feel like it's like open gym or like we're like, in, you know, yeah. we're roommates my senior year, like that we're just in our apartment. Like I just shove them just because it's like so deeply embedded instinct to just do that. Um, and then of course I get, we both get hit with the tease, which I'm thankful he got hit as well. Yeah. Um, and then I just like, I look to the ref and I like, try to begin to argue and i'm like no i mean that's that's you, know, <laughs> yeah, you can't be like that, that's my college game. roommate man like, I know, right? yeah. <laughs> so i actually i did i did uh email or text our our player representative from the player association and told him to contest it and that like it was just you know we're that's my best friend we're just messing around with each other like it was just a joke like the ref got it misconstrued but i don't think i'm making my money back for that one <laughs> get motive to pay the fine he's the one that started yeah, talking right I already, I already uh, invoiced him for, it, but he's not gonna, he's not gonna budge on that. He wants me to pay it because I'm the one who pushed him. I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? You completely instigated it. He's like, yeah, but it wouldn't have been a technical if you didn't push me. I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? And uh, one more on the current NBA oh, thing. God. When um, with John and you know, seeing him on the court, just what kind of surreal moment was that for, for you, for the both of you to be on a NBA basketball court no. to get, obviously yeah. things have changed, but I mean, what was that moment like for you? Special for sure. Um, you know, obviously I have a ton of memories with him and uh, it was, it was strange to be on the other sideline. That's for sure. Um, you know, I was just to hear, like even just in the scout, like there's weird moments, like in the scout to like hear their calls and remember all of them. And mm-hmm. some of them had changed a little bit, but there are a lot of similarities and, um, you know, we, we obviously shared a moment, um, before and after both games, uh, that we played or all three games, I guess. Um, 
so you know it's special definitely a memory i i won't forget it also felt good to um you know hit, hit a couple against him as well yeah my favorite part of that is is just his bench reactions like while the ball is in the air looking at his reaction to the bench that was, that was... that's funny all right you got anything on the way out here nick no we're good that was great well uh Mo, or uh, I, I know that you on the podcast with JJ you talked about that you're big into restaurants now. Yeah. And on this podcast, every time we wrap up a show, we ask our guests to remind people of how important it is to tip your bartenders and your servers and support your local restaurants. Right now, being pretty damn important to do yeah. that. So, yeah. how what what are you doing to get out there and and uh, help these places get through it? Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I've, uh, one of the things I've been trying to do past time is, is cook more. So I've, I have been cooking a lot. Um, and the person I'm, I'm, I'm living with right now, uh, he's, he's a really good cook as well. So, uh, we, we have been cooking a lot of our meals, but we always make an emphasis to, to go and order some food. And, um, obviously, you know, I, I have a bunch of restaurants around here that I, I frequent, so it's good to, you know, maintain connection with those guys and see that they're obviously, you know, struggling with the times a little bit, but I try to support them whenever I can. What was your uh, Ann Arbor Ypsilanti area jam? What was your favorite around here? Um, Cause we have like a billion around here. This place is amazing for food. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's yeah. so many, I mean, in terms of like a college spot, um, like Mr. Spots is great. Like, mm-hmm. if you're, you know, like college kid, like mm-hmm. chicken sandwich or whatever. Um, there were a couple great ones. Like, when my family would come into town, yeah. um, get like Monty Asteria. I, I love Monty Asteria. Mm-hmm. Um, they were open for takeout, I do believe, right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. Isol- yep. Isolita as well. Yep. Yep. Mexican place. Yep. Place is really good. Um, I'm smoking. I can't remember. What's the Italian place on uh, on Main Street, right on the corner there? Uh, Palio. Um, Palio. The sure. Yep. yep. I love Palio. They were also um, open for takeout. Yep. Yeah. So, so you know, all of those places. Awesome. Um, I would I would save the the more expensive ones from my you know my mom came in <laughs> yeah perfect yeah for a game all right awesome. well we will leave it on that Duncan you were a wonderful guest and uh, again we uh, we think it's terrific what what you're doing and yeah it's just, awesome it's been congrats awesome. Duncan it's been again. awesome to watch it. so thank you for coming on uh, folks that'll do it for this week be sure to uh, check back next week. I seen hard times all my days